Welcome again, Monica. Welcome. Welcome. And thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for having us. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for coming back and speaking with us tonight. So I think just right off the top, I would just kind of get your thoughts on Black History Month and you know what it feels, um, what it means to you to be a representative, a person of color representing a diverse city like Antioch. And we'll just start with you, Monica. Okay. Well, first of all, we should be talking about Black history throughout the year, not just the shortest month of the year. But uh, lots of accomplishments, lots of shoulders that have lifted us up, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, but to be, a, uh, to be a, a Black leader in a, a, a diverse city it's a lot. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a big it's a big load to carry. I mean, you're out here. You always want to do your best, and you want to work really hard. But you want to pay attention to policy that's gonna that's gonna um, affect change, affect positive change that's gonna move us forward. I know for me, I'm always looking at issues that they're important to the black community, such as you know mental health, uh, healthy communities how to inspire and uplift our youth, you know, looking, looking for ways of how do I bring attention to it? How do I create change? And how do I affect policy that helps in that area? So being that voice to make sure that a light is shined on that is, is very important to me. Thank you, Monica. And Mr. Mayor Lamar Thorpe, how does it feel to you just to um, be a part of city government? You've been a council person for a long time. You too, Monica, um, been on the council for a long time. And how does it feel to be a representative for such a, a diverse city and being like a black mixed race man, because you're not only a black man, you're a Mexican, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. I would say so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, my parents would say so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, how's it feel to you to be able to take this on? I know um, there's a lot of stress involved, obviously, and a lot of work, but what's it mean to be like a leader, a black man to be a leader um, in the city? Well, you know, it's a pleasure, but it's uh, it's more of a pleasure to be part of a diversity of like Antioch uh, that comes from being a very, uh, very close city. And so it's no secret that Antioch used to be a sundown town. It's no secret that whether the rules were written or not, black people were not particularly welcome in Antioch back before kind of the great migration of black folks who ended up here in Antioch. And not even ended up who chose to come to Antioch and make it their home, just like I did eight years ago and Monica did a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I just said about 50, yeah, 15 years 15 ago. 15 years right. ago. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been an absolute pleasure that um, that in that short time that I've been here, the, you know, the people elected me the mayor. So I think it speaks to, to, the, to the gains we've made as, as African-Americans here in this community. We're not just perpetual guests. We're not here, even though sometimes it feels like folks try to make us seem like the burden of Antioch. Oh, all these, the issues are around Section 8 started to come when all the black people started to migrate from Oakland and Richmond or something like that. Well, we know that the vast majority of African-Americans out here are middle-class homeowners who are professionals. They have advanced degrees. They have bachelor's degrees and they work in the city. They work in Oakland. They work in San Jose in different parts. Heck, Monica and I used to work at San Jose Evergreen Community College District. I was the chief advancement officer. She was the dean of workforce development. And we had offices right next door to each other. <laughs> so, and that's the type of professional class that, of African-Americans that live here. But even outside of that, if, if, if folks came here because they needed housing assistance, so what? Antioch is a place for everybody. And so I think that's kind of what, um, what it, what it kind of means to be the mayor of Antioch, to hold elected office, is that this place is 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 a place for everybody. Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's talk about some of the projects that you're all working on and see how that's going. I know you've done the bridge housing and that uh, sounds like it's coming back or continuing. Some people call the homeless hotels, but it's actually a temporary home for homeless people to help them get them back into um, permanent housing. So how's that going, uh, Lamar? I'll start with you this time. And what's in the future for that? Well, we'll be discussing that on Tuesday. Uh, it's a, um, you know, bridge housing is a, I'll say principle, not a, not a program. It's not a, it's not a project. It's a principle that a city would embrace that ensures that we have a place for those who are unhoused, who need, uh, who want to be in the track towards permanent housing, where you can't just get off the street and go into permanent housing with the county's assistance. You can't have been living 20, 30 years on the streets and just go into permanent housing. There's a process that goes along with that. Rich housing is a critical component to that. And it's one of the many strategies to get people out of uh, homelessness. You know, I wouldn't call it like temporary shelter. That's a different thing. I wouldn't. It, this is it's a bridge towards housing mm -hmm. and it's to stabilize people so that when we start talking about, you know, everybody always says, well, there's a there's all these resources that are available. Just give them a list of resources so that they can go help themselves. Well, it's not that easy to just pick yourself up and go get resources yeah. when you're trying to sleep at night. So the, the concept here is to, the principle here is to stabilize people's lives, get them the resources that they need, the wraparound services, and get them towards permanent housing. And that's how you end homelessness. Thank you, Mayor. And I will ask um, both of you about, I think I would be um, amiss if I didn't advocate for my homeless advocates right now and ask about um, the people on the streets right now, apparently that there's still been some encampments that have been uprooted and, um, even some food that has been, been blocked from served. I don't know if you've heard about that, but the police were blocking some food service down at the Amtrak station. So, you know, what would you think, um, is going on here about the, the camp still being swept when we know that there's been an order from the governor that people mm -hmm. in encampments should be left in place, um, during the times of the coronavirus. And that goes for the CDC as well. I think he's following the CDC guidelines. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember being at one of the encampments to uh, document and to bear witness. And one of the women kept waving a paper and said, this is from the governor. Camps should be left in place. And the uh, officers, you know, they didn't care. They didn't even want to look at the paper. Mm -hmm. So what is going on with the um, encampment still being swept? You know, what I can really say say to that, the issue of, of homelessness and in, in or unhoused residents is the police department really isn't the agency to go and and outreach to our homeless population or our population self, you know suffering from mental illness or trauma or sexual violence what have you we really I, you know I'm a big advocate of a specialized team that has the background and the training and the resources around mental health or people going through trauma or people you know um, struggling that go that they have the tools and the resources available to de-escalate a situation or help somebody get to the resources that we need I don't see our police department shouldn't be our social services department. I am a big advocate of a team of specialized uh, people that come out with a van and have services. A lot of times somebody who may be, appear to be drunk or disorderly may be experiencing trauma, may be going through a, a, a diabetic state that gives the illusion and appearance that they may be drunk. This type of team knows that and knows how to assess that. They, you know, a lot, most times, nine times out of 10, those types of teams do work in partnership 
with the police department. They work separately, but they do work in partnership where if, you know, they're able to de-escalate it, but if they need to, they can reach out to the police department. But I'm, I'm of the mindset we need to send the right people to, you know, an encampment situation where they know, okay, this is what's going on here. Okay, this person may be suffering from mental illness. How do I get them connected? How do I, you know, maybe have to take them to the hospital? Somebody so on the team. So you're saying like a special service team. I a think I get team. that. Yeah. I, but I think I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at is like, who is making the call to still sweep the camps at this time? Can I be that frank? So I'm just going to say that, um, Code enforcement and the police department have a lot of work to do. Every call that they respond to is because somebody called, not because we went out and proactively went looking for something. So whether it's feeding the homeless, somebody called. If it's an encampment way out somewhere where no one would have ever thought, somebody called. The police department didn't go looking for them. Code enforcement didn't go looking. For them. So we have to respond. When, when we respond and there are health hazards, we are legally obligated to respond, to clean up. So what is an example of that? Well, if there's a car that's dripping oil, that's a health hazard. We live on waterways. All this, everything that, everything that seeps through uh, your home, your yard, just as in, 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 a, in an encampment where people are living, gets into our waterways. And so we have to protect that. So those are the types of health hazards that we commonly find. We'll find human feces. We'll find needles. When we identify that, we're legally obligated to deal with those public health hazards that exist. I've walked, when people have been upset, advocates have been upset with the fact that we have, uh, or we are going to, um, to clean up an encampment, I've gone out there and I've literally pointed out exactly every health hazard that exists just empirically by what I understand to be a health hazard. And so some folks have said, oh, okay, I understand. And then some folks are still not pleased about it. And I understand that. I mean, no one wants, I mean, I, I think we all recognize that the strategy that we've employed for the last however long of being reactive to the issue of people living on our streets is not working and it's costly. But we're, we hope to dissect this issue more in the coming months uh, we have Nicole Gardner, who's leading my transition team on homelessness, mental health, and uh, and in human trafficking. Monica's on that. They're going to be coming up with some recommendations uh, for us to hopefully send to, to council and consider. Uh, so so we'll be you know we'll be we'll be dealing with this issue. I know it's not fast enough. I understand a lot of these issues are not fast enough. Bill Maher said a few Fridays ago, and I and it's true. He said California is a blue state held together by bureaucratic red tape. Mm -hmm. And this is the frustrating part about being a policymaker. It doesn't move as quickly as I want it to, I'm sure as quickly as Monica wants it to, and as quickly as you want it to. It's hard, it's challenging, and we're not always equipped as institutions to deal with these issues. Cities historically have not dealt with homeless issues. We just, we haven't, the counties have. Uh, and so, but this is something we've embraced, but it's going to take a while to build up. I mean, we literally just hired our unhoused resident coordinator. That took a year yeah. <laughs> just to hire someone part-time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, you know, I hope that we can close the chapter on us being reactive and open the chapter to us uh, solving individuals experiencing homelessness, and getting them into permanent housing. All right. Well, I don't want to stay on the housing, um, to the homeless, uh, the unhoused people too long, but maybe like, I know you tried the porta potties out there a few times. 
to help clean up the human uh, waste problem. So um, I, I won't go too on with the, the homeless encampments, but I just wanted to bring that up because I know that a lot of people were concerned about it, especially in this cold weather that um, encampments and were We'll be bringing in. some of those things yeah. back. We have the money allocated for that. We now have someone who can do it. Remember in the past, Ron Bernal, the city manager, the, the city's top official, was the one who was monitoring the porta potties. That's impractical and that's ridiculous to have our city manager doing things like that. So now we have mm -hmm. someone who can actually monitor, survey, and determine what uh, what we need to do as it relates to the kind of the management aspect of homeless encampments. All right. Well, I'm glad that Nicole's in on this because I know she's very passionate about it. Um, and I know that uh, bridge housing is a real important component of this to um, move people from the street level to the, the midpoint right. and then on to... All right. Well, thank you both. Um, well, let's talk something uh, about something that's important to you, Monica, because you work hard. Um, we just left uh, the Sex Trafficking Awareness Month, but it's something that you're constantly working on. Um, what are you looking forward to in the this? You know, you're in for what, two years now? Yeah. So um, what are you? <laughs> two looking years goes by real fast. <laughs> so um, you looking into this as one of your projects, what, what do you got um, in the future for us? I mean, it's a continuing project that's always been very passionate to me. You know, in the beginning, you know, really doing the awareness piece of making sure the public was aware that it's happening and also, you know, educating people that it's happening here. Um, so, you know, you're right. January was Human Trafficking Awareness Month. This month is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. So really, you know, making, you know, over, the overarching theme for me is really you know, making people aware of sexual violence. And, and that's a form of trauma. Um, you know, he, as I said, human trafficking happens in plain sight. It's a crime that does not discriminate. So it can happen to anybody. It can happen to your neighbor. It can happen to uh, your friend. It can happen to a sister or brother. But it, it, it happens to our most vulnerable. I was just on a call with someone from the DA's office. You know, there's uptick in, you know, not only human trafficking, but domestic violence in East County. And how, how do we make the public aware and how do we help, how do we combat, combat that? And so, as I said, this month is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. And you know, we're doing a whole program called Real Talk uh, this coming Monday for Antioch teens, uh, for them to come and, A, be educated on teen dating violence because, I believe it's one in five youth are um, experience some type type of uh, dating violence in, while while in high school or wise as a teenager, you know, and that's really kind of the start of if somebody is experiencing a, an abusive relationship and not telling anybody, that person's usually on the road down to being trafficked. So battle this is really bringing awareness to uh, to our youth about what is a healthy relationship, what to do. We're even offers, offering bystander training because a lot of youth have reached out like, I see, you know, I know a friend, but I don't know how to intervene. How do you know, how do we educate them on bystander training and how they can step in or who they can they can go talk to 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 intervene and, and help somebody out. All right. Well, how can um, youth get involved in that? Is there a way they could log in or? Um, yes, there's a, um, and it's, I, I believe it's almost at capacity, but um, I have it on my Facebook page. I believe also it's on the Antioch Unified School District's Facebook, uh, Facebook and social media pages, along with the city's uh, Facebook and social media pages on how they can sign up. Um, and it's going to be a really great event. And also uh, things coming up in the future, uh, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So we're looking forward to doing a lot of education and awareness on that. And I'll probably, you know, outside of those months, I'll constantly be All right. talking about it. <laughs> well, can you throw out your um, your official Facebook as a city councilwoman so people can know it? Yeah, my uh, official Facebook page is uh, Vice Mayor Monica. Vice Mayor Monica. All right. Well, we are getting a low on time. And I know that um, there's a lot going on. We have the Bridging the Gap. Um, not to be confused with the bridge housing, but the bridging the gap 
conversation on police reform. And just today, the news has dropped about Angelo Quinto, um, the young man who was recently killed by the Anak police Christmas Eve. And the new the family is pretty much just breaking their silence today. I guess I would like to get your response on that. I know there's not a lot of information available to you um, at this time because the news has just broke. What have you know about the Angelo Quinto case today? What have you been aware of? Let's start with you, Mayor. Well, you know, there's an active investigation from the DA's office, and so I'm not going to comment on an active investigation from the DA's office. All right, yeah, okay. And I suppose that's the same for you. All right. Well, I could just say that for myself, I'm not involved in that, that I was um, with the family today and uh, with the, at the press conference this morning, and they're pretty convinced that the young man um, died at their home. And the video shows that they're doing CPR in the house as they're trying to uh, take the young man out. There's not a lot you can say, as you said, but um, I would just add that um, the Quinto family, one of their hopes um, out of this, of course, like all families that this happens, that this never happens to another family again. One of the things that they were proposing was a crisis response team um, separate from police. And I know that you guys have probably followed a lot of the cities that are actually working with these special teams that are not in uh, not in the police department, but they're separate from the police. And they consist of like mental health people and uh, people that specialize in uh, mental health issues. Would you guys ever consider something like that? I think so, I was just talking about that. <laughs> that's what Monica was talking about. I will say this. Um, I spoke to the mom and I offered my condolences and I was just sorry that this that this happened to their family and that they have to experience this. But there is an active investigation outside of that. Uh, I think we recognize that's why Monica's on the transition team, particularly around mental health. And so uh, these are some of the models that they're looking at uh, right now. Uh, so um, hopefully we can bring that forward as well. But Monica can talk a little more about she did kind of talk about that earlier. That's yeah, what she was. Yeah. Yeah. That was if you go back to what I campaigned on, that was a major uh, issue. One of my platforms is trying to push that uh, push that forward. Um, and we're seeing more and more across the nation. I'm not just saying Antioch specific. We're seeing more and more across the uh, across the nation of people who are in. Who are, I don't even want to say just mental health, but people who are experiencing an episode or a traumatic episode and they're reaching out like, I need, I need some help. And really, you know, having the right response team to come to that. People that, that specialize in mental health, that know how to de-escalate that. Um, and I've done a ton of research, you know, looking at cities like Eugene, Oregon. I know San Francisco. I've been looking at what they've done. Other cities across the United States I've been looking to do. I even got a call the other day from somebody, I believe, uh, not Chicago, another city in the Midwest that reached out to me that said, hey, I heard you're making phone calls. What research have you done? Uh, we're looking at something very similar. This is something that's going forward. In fact, I believe the state just passed um, – uh, uh, I don't. I can't remember if it's a Senate bill or an Assembly bill addressing the same issue. Is this something you guys think you might be able to get into in these next two years? That while you're in office, I'm I'm pushing. I'm very much pushing for that. You know, it's uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, push that push that issue and and propose it, and hopefully I have the support to make that pass and hopefully bring that to fruition because it has to go through its process. Once it passes, then we got to go through the process of of getting a team on. So, all right, I um, think you'll find a lot of support. I feel like there's a lot of support here for that. 
Mr. Mayor, do you have to say something? You know, on the issue of mental health and even the homeless, even the unhoused resident issue, you know, we keep asking our police officers to do more and more. And we keep, and effectively, we keep asking them to be social workers. We want them to get trained on mental health stuff. We want them to get trained on how to, how to interact with, with people who are experiencing homelessness. We want them to be in our schools, to be effectively social workers for kids. And we have to stop asking our police officers to solve all the problems. Number one, because it's not efficient. But number two is as if this doesn't have a mental health impact on police officers as well and all that they see. And so uh, I hope that we can get to a point uh, and that we can even serve as a model for other cities in, in Contra Costa County that we have to stop asking our police officers to do everything under the sun. The reason the reason we have a community engagement team here in the city of Antioch that specifically uh, has a strong focus on uh, unhoused residents was because the council asked for this. They, they asked mm -hmm. for this. We wanted to send police officers to the schools. We, we want our police officers to be trained on mental health. We, as policymakers, as the public, keep demanding more and more from our police officers. And then we don't even provide them with the resources that they need to do this, <laughs> to do these types of jobs. And so we have to alleviate uh, those who asked to be police officers, who signed up to be police officers from those burdens and get them focused on the things that they actually signed up to do, which is to keep the peace, to fight crime, uh, to keep our neighborhood safe. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys are looking into that. And I feel like there'll be a lot of support in town personally. And I'm looking forward to um, backing you both on that um, as much as I can and working towards those ends. The bridging the gap. Let's just real quick go over the bridging the gap because you're wrapped. I think it wrapped up this uh, today. It wrapped up today. How are you feeling about the bridging the gap? Personally, when the one that I joined in, I shared my comments online. You might have read or you might not. I didn't feel like it gave ample opportunity for the one that I was involved in, which was the first one. Um, I forgot the title of it, but um, as a victim of police violence and a survivor, I felt like um, the information that the people running the, the process didn't provide a lot of information on why we need police reform in Antioch. There was no mention of um, past cases of officers that are in jail right now um, doing time for crimes they committed as police officers. There's no mention of the past two, now three, asphyxiation deaths of people in town. There was no mention of the numerous lawsuits and payouts um, by the city. And it really left the people in the groups I was with, especially the back the blue people that came in to be a part of it, to back the blue, um, uninformed about why we needed reform in Antioch. It only offered generalities um, from other places. So how are you feeling about bridging the gap? I didn't get to participate today or the middle, um, the second one, so I missed out on that. But let's start with the mayor. How's it feeling for you, bridging the gap? I know this also was an alternative um, system put in place because you as a council person in the past, in 2020, were trying to do the ad hoc committee, which is going to take a deep dive and an exploration into, you know, stuff, what we needed. And this bridging the gap was an alternative put forward by Mayor Sean Wright and the council at the time. How you Correct. Uh, you know, I inherited this process and, and if this is what the council wanted to do and the public wanted to do, then I was going to see it out. Uh, there's been nonsense about whoever you talk to, they'll have a different opinion. Oh, it, look, uh, Mayor Thorpe set it up in a way so that the outcomes are the, what he wants. To, well, there really are no outcomes. It's a conversation. 
yeah, they're going to have recommendations. Great. But I'm I'm the mayor and I'm going to do police reform, (laughs) irrespective of what comes out of these conversations. I'm pushing my police reform agenda. I've been working with council members to develop that agenda. Had a great conversation with the chief recently about uh, police reform and some of the things he'd like to see. And I look forward to meeting with our union president in the coming days to kind of talk through what they think of police reform. But these conversations were never, uh, in my opinion, intended to have an outcome. I mean, there's going to be some recommendations. I think they're going to be pretty clear. Oh, people want body cameras. People want, I get it. But they they weren't intended to have a specific outcome. They also were never intended to be that specific about Antioch. Because what happened was, is that I think after post-George Floyd, there was just an understanding globally mm-hmm. that, okay, there are going to be police reforms that happen. I think we're at a place in America where you're silly if you're a city or an agency that doesn't have body cameras. That's just, I think, a norm that is just going to exist. But don't expect the federal government to solve your problem. We as local, we have to act locally and think globally. Globally, the issue is transparency. Well, that means at the local level, we have to then enact body cameras. So I think it wasn't necessarily a question about, well, should Antioch have body cameras? That answer has been, that question has been answered. That was a national conversation we had. We all had it post George Floyd. So there are some normal, some things that just, that, 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 that became apparent post George Floyd that were going to happen. I think that was part of the conversation. Um, that I think that was at the, the core of what the council wanted to have. Because if you remember in those conversations, there was just this very, um, this belief that, oh, well, okay, that happened over there. But what does that have to do with Antioch? So then let's talk about it globally. What I wanted to have a conversation was exactly the things you're talking about. Well, if we're going to have police reform, let's think globally and let's think globally and act locally, but also look at our policies to see what does need to change, even beyond the common sense things that we now see? Well, I'm sorry to interrupt. because I know we're just getting low on time, but you have some big plans coming up in March. March is a police reform month for the city of Antioch. You know, there's going to be some some conversations again. What, what could we look forward to in March? Look forward to a lot. I think given where we're at now and some of the pent up frustration, I think from the public, I think you're going to see some announcements sooner rather than in March that we'll deal with in March. Uh, but I think that there's some announcements coming uh, soon. And Monica, how are you feeling about um, all that's happening with police reform and stuff right now? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to you know having the discussion around policy and you know what Mayor Thorpe has said is this conversation is happening globally, and it's interesting. You know, I too, have, as I've as I've kind of had conversations with people that participated in this in these uh, community conversations. No matter what side people were on, they felt like their side wasn't covered. <laughs> I worked, you know, many years ago, I worked at Mills College and we did a same survey, like how students felt in general around campus. And every group there was, you know, no matter what group, if it was the Black Union, you know, Student Union or the Democratic Club or the Asian American Club or the Art Club or whatever group they were with, that group felt that they were the out group. I'm like, oh, so we have a bunch of students that feel like they're on the outs. Everybody feels like their issue was not addressed. But at the same time, we wanted to come together and have that conversation, irregardless of the people that were saying, oh, it's, that's Minneapolis and this, we're Antioch. OK, yeah, but it's still happening on a global level. We need to have that conversation. Think of if we all had had this global conversation years ago, 
maybe the incident with George Floyd, maybe, I, you know, I don't know, but maybe it may, may not have happened. But I think, you know, for me as a council person, it's good that we're having the conversation and it's a conversation we definitely need to have. And we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be hiding our heads in the sand about it. We shouldn't go, we shouldn't fall back on, well, there was no, you know, I didn't have a problem and, you know, we never had this problem. And so therefore, you know, we shouldn't talk about it while you have a gr you know, group over here saying, I've been watching this problem all the time and nobody's acknowledging, acknowledging that this is happening. We have to have a conversation about it. We just can't keep constantly, you know, uplifting this one side and then just saying, okay, we'll poo-poo on, poo-poo to you to this other side. So I know I said a lot and hopefully it made a lot of sense, but it's a conversation that we definitely need to have. And we can't keep, you know, turning the other way. We can't keep looking the other way like, oh, well, that's that incident. Well, this is, well, so-and-so is a good guy. And, you know, I've, I've heard that a million times, like somebody does something that's just way out of line. And then you hear a person come back. Well, that's just so-and-so. But at the point, we have to have these conversations. I would say that um, I thank you for trying to take these bold steps. Um, I would encourage you to be bold and to think um, big and to go for it, you know, while you have this time. And I'm looking forward to um, the work that you're doing. And I hope that you have success. And I hope that you do go bold and go big. And uh, I appreciate that you're actually taking a good look at what needs to be done. Because you guys know me, I've been speaking on it um, since my case in 2009. And there was people before me. So I will say this, and here's where I think it's relevant to your conversation about Black History Month. Uh, I'm just sorry to say this, but if we were white politicians saying these things, we wouldn't be attacked the way we are. I mean, that was called a nigger the other day. These things are fueled by just this, this, this portrait some folks try to paint of African-Americans just because we stand up for social justice, mm -hmm. that we must be cop haters, that we must be socialist, there must be all these different things that they think are negative. When That's what I keep hearing. They, the two cop haters, uh, I don't hate cops. I don't, I don't hate it's, cops. It's, <laughs> and it, and it's, it's, it's sickening. And uh, so, but it's still, you know, you know as, we, as we celebrate yet another Black History Month, I, I just, you know, these are things for the history books too. Number one, why did it have to take black people to show up at City Hall to say, okay, we need to do these reforms and force force them to do these reforms. Uh, why did? Why is it that when black people lead these, these conversations, uh, we have to be lynched in these internet circles, these blogs, simply because, because we have ideas and positions. And, and so it's, it's fascinating to me to watch these things, but it's also, you know, I celebrate the fact that I'm the mayor, I'm the second black mayor. Monica is still the first black woman elected to the city council, but it's still, it, it, we just have to remind ourselves there's still plenty, plenty of work to do, absolutely plenty of work to do. Uh, and so um, as we uh, as we kind of celebrate this milestone in black history as the first three or majority African-American council, it doesn't come with a moment of kumbaya. This is a this is a fight. This is an absolute fight. And it's a fight against institutions who refuse to change. It's a fight against complacency. It's a fight against the status quo. It's a fight for folks who say, no, 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 we're still the old town of, of back in the day. I don't want to be the old town of back in the day when black people were chased out of here. No, I don't want to be that town. I don't want to go back to that. I don't ever want to be that. We're the town that welcomes everybody. We're the, excuse me, not, we're not even a town. We're the city that welcomes everybody. Everybody has a place in Antioch, irrespective of how you got here as a homeowner, a renter. I don't care. Everybody has a place in this community. 
All right. Well, great words to end on. I thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor Lamar Thorpe and uh, Vice Mayor Monica Wilson. Thank you. And I thank you for um, giving me the time to speak with us tonight on Full Circle. Thank you. I may want to delete the later part. I should probably say that. <laughs>